You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 138. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free for two weeks, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, I'll be speaking with Alana Griffo of sugarintype.com, who is also Team Lively's graphic designer, about her experience creating our workandworth.com website. Now let's move on to today's episode. Today I'm doing one of those episodes where I am recording the day it is launching. I know, I know, I'm trying to get ahead on things, but man, there is just some part of me that really does love talking to you guys on the day that I'm actually releasing this episode. So as you're listening, this is all very, very fresh. So this is a Q&A. I have asked for questions on Instagram at Jess C. Lively. We'll start with Chelsea A.M. Becker. She said, hi, Jess. I'm curious about people's sleep. What's your sleep schedule and how much sleep do you usually get? I'm not sure exactly how much sleep I usually get, but I typically go to bed between 1030 and 11 after reading for a little bit, and I wake up between 7 and 730. I used to try to get up earlier than 7 and get up in the 6 o'clock hours sometimes, kind of like doing the miracle morning. But I realized in taking a Shalene Johnson class, and she talked about what's your ideal life? Like you're owning your own business. You get to make your own roles. In an ideal world, when would you wake up? And I realized that I just really like waking up between 7 and 7.30 so much more than getting up earlier than that. And because I am in a place where I get to design my schedule, I've just decided that there's no reason I shouldn't do that. So between 7 and 8, I'll do my morning rituals, which include meditation for 10 minutes, literally while laying still flat in bed. I turn off the alarm and I turn on a guided meditation. If you're interested in guided meditations, by the way, last week I shared my top five favorite meditation apps and resources. So you can check those out if you're interested at justlively.com slash favorite meditations. I'll do my meditation. Then I will write in a gratitude journal about five to seven things that I'm grateful for right after doing the meditation. And now I've gotten most recently into writing to my intuition. I would say probably 85% of the time in the morning. Next up, we have Elise Andrews who asked, hey Jess, love your show so much. I'm curious how you plan to regulate your hormones and get your cycle back after going off the pill. Are you still eating gluten and dairy-free? What else has helped? Thanks. Yes, I am doing the gluten dairy-free. I would say probably... 90% of the time. I was probably even stronger with it for a while, but now that the summer's here, gluten is in beer, and there are some amazing beer gardens here in Ann Arbor that don't have gluten-free beer. So that's kind of been a little bit of an exception lately as I've gone like once or twice this last week, I think about I've had some actual beer that's not gluten-free. So I've definitely not 100% perfect at it. And just making those general changes that I can. And I'm still pretty, pretty good about it, especially when it comes to food. Other than that, I've been trying to do the cycle syncing, which is eating specific nutrient-dense foods on specific weeks. I'm not amazing at that because I eat out so often with friends. I'm not a big cook and I like to be around people. So I often will go out to eat and 
when I do, it's very hard to find like specific ingredients like buckwheat, gluten-free, dairy-free meals at restaurants in Ann Arbor. So I do the best that I can. I talked with Elisa about this as well. She said that the more I do, the faster things can happen, but it doesn't mean that if by going slower, it won't happen at all. So I'm still moving forward in those ways, and I've been taking the supplements she's recommended. And just getting more comfortable with the cycle syncing as I get more familiar with, for example, different recipes that include things like buckwheat that I wasn't used to eating before. So overall, doing pretty well, but also now taking the pressure off myself to have any specific outcome happen immediately. And thankfully, I really do enjoy the gluten-dairy-free lifestyle. And at the same time that I say that, I'm also super pumped because in Europe, I love French cheese and I love the idea of enjoying the amazing bread and those types of foods in Italy and France. Thankfully, Elisa said the gluten and the dairy that's in Europe is better and less hormone disruptive than it is in the US. So she said, I don't have to 100% avoid that by any means while I'm there. So as much as I love gluten-dairy-free and probably will still try to do that as much as possible while I'm in Europe as well traveling, I am excited to make those exceptions without guilt or resistance when it comes to the European once-in-a-lifetime types of food choices I get to make. Next up, we have Lisa Valinsky asking, how are things going with your value of pleasure? Things have been going really well, but to be honest, last week and kind of like the last week and a half was a little bit tough when it came to life in general. My ego just really got in there and would not let go. I always like to say the ego is kind of like a dog that has a chew toy, and man, was it hard to let that chew toy go. I'll explain more about how I did get through that patch, but I will say that while I was dealing with it, my focus on pleasure was not where I would have liked it to be quite honestly. But before that, things were going fantastically. So I had like a really, really good probably five or six months, almost even better than probably almost any other point in my life. But then that last week and a half was kind of a pretty big contrast to that. But one of the things I did do was go on really long walks that I enjoy. Now that the weather's nicer, that was really great. And even while I was kind of in that yucky place, I will say that scents were really great When I would put on perfume or light a candle or smell something like an essential oil, that would lift my spirits in that moment. But like I said, when that ego is going and your thoughts are not happening in the direction you'd like them to go, things like scents aren't going to necessarily turn you around per se. Next up, we have EC89, who said, Hi, Jess. Would love your advice to a young entrepreneur in Chicago just starting out. Things to get involved in, activities, people to reach out to, etc. I can totally relate to this question as I was a young entrepreneur starting out in Chicago. The two places I would suggest you check out are Nextdoor Chicago over on Diversity. I used to do Business in the City, which is free business coaching and community there at that location. I'm not sure if they still have anything like that going on, but they have some awesome free programming. And also score.org. This is something that's nationwide, I'm pretty sure. I know they have offices downtown in Chicago. They have them here in Ann Arbor as well, and many, many other cities across the country. It's through the government, and they're amazing retired executives that donate their time to helping people starting on a business. I have been seeing a mentor there for several years. I still Skype with him now, so I think I've been seeing him for six or seven years now. He's pretty much my grandfather at this point, and I really, really love talking to him. So I would suggest checking out SCORE. If you don't enjoy your first mentor, it's kind of like dating. Like, Don't hate the dating app just because you didn't have a great first experience. Try other mentors to see if you find one that feels like a fit to see on a regular basis. 
Now we have Amanda S. I-W-Y. She said, hi, Jess, how do you process and apply all the fantastic advice and ideas from the guests on the show? There are rarely episodes where nothing resonates with me. How do you manage it all? This is something I remember working with clients when I was doing one-on-one coaching with, and we called it the soaking wet sponge if you will. So basically what it feels like is sometimes when you're into personal growth and you are learning and consuming all of this information, it's kind of like you're soaking it all in as a sponge. And sometimes that sponge gets really uncomfortably full with water and needs to be wrung out to dry so that it can be effective. So if you're feeling like you have all of this overload of information and inspiration and advice, sometimes you need to kind of take a little break, if you will, just implement on the things you've learned thus far before taking in more information. Say, all right, what are the three things that are most on my mind from everything I've learned and what am I gonna go do in the next week or three weeks to go implement those strategies alone before incorporating more into your life going forward? As far as me personally, I take what resonates in the moment and leave the rest. So there are many times I've thought a lot about Brene Brown's episode about having the hard conversations with people and just being fully honest and vulnerable with them, even if my ego would not like to have that conversation. I remember my leak teal whenever I get worried about what people are going to think about me or if they aren't going to like me from her episode. I think about Brooke Castillo's episode and her self-coaching process of thoughts, emotions, actions, and how that works out in my own life. So I basically, I don't know, I've been doing this also, let's be real. I've been doing this for like a decade. So I just have also incorporated a lot of things over time that are much more habitual or habits that I don't have to think about so consciously. So in the beginning, this might be more overwhelming for people than it is long-term. But I just kind of think situationally to whatever I'm dealing with in my life and think if there is something, some tool, action, or habit that I've learned from a book or a guest that might apply in that situation, and then I try to apply it. Now we have Colleen Wilshire who asked, this is extremely important. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? This is a very important question, Colleen, though I don't eat ice cream anymore, really. When I was eating ice cream, I will say I loved me some moose tracks. I don't know if you guys know what moose tracks are, but maybe it's a Midwest thing. I'm not sure. But oh, there's like layers of fudge and like veining. It's kind of like marble, but with fudge. And it has chocolate peanut butter cups. It's so, so good. And vanilla ice cream. Totally love it. And on the subject, I'm more of a vanilla than a chocolate ice cream person. Now we have a crep jewel who asks, top three guests you'd like to have on the show that you haven't yet. Number one, Eckhart Tolle. Number two, who's probably really number one, Oprah Winfrey. And number three, Byron Katie. Marie Foreman asked, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? My top things to do in my free time are going out to eat, taking super long walks, running while listening to podcasts, hanging out with friends, although that probably goes back to the going out to eat part as well, and lately dating because I love hanging out with people. As I work alone and my team is all over the country virtually and I live alone with Ellie, I don't get to see a lot of humans (laughs) unless I'm going to the coffee shop or doing things like going out to eat, hanging out with friends, doing other fun things, or dating. So I love being around people as much as possible. Kay Melbach asked, an individual from the past and present who have had the most influence on you and why? 
So the person in the past that had the biggest influence on me would be my advisor from my business school, Mary Hinesley, who was the woman that asked me what I really, really, really wanted to do when I was a student. And I had the gumption to say I wanted to help people like Oprah and Martha Stewart, which triggered the 10 years that have since happened from that point to get me to the work I'm doing today. In the present, the current people that have the most influence on me are my two coaches that I see regularly. One of them is a Chicago-based coach, and one of them is here in Ann Arbor, and I love those women. Their advice and their wisdom in my life is so important to me. It's my favorite time of the week is whenever I get to work with one of them. Um, They're not life coaches per se. One of them I found through, I actually met her as a massage therapist, but she does so many more services, and including just kind of, I wouldn't say therapy, but coaching is the best kind of equivalent I can give to what she does with me. But basically, they're kind of like my advisors or mentors, and I love working with them. My investment in their time and talent is some of my very favorite things to do, and I I just get the most out of it. So they are definitely the women that have influenced me currently the most. Carrie K333 asked, I'd love to know how you manage your daily tasks and get the stuff you need done balanced with the stuff you want to get done. I find there's not much time for me unless I plan for it, but then I default to sleep, Netflix, and YouTube, wondering how you manage it. Also, do you use a planner or task management software or a to-do list? Thanks. Well, when it comes to this, I have to say I'm in a new and interesting phase of life. I don't have children. I don't have a spouse or a boyfriend. I live alone. I work for myself. So right now, when it comes to me time, whenever I'm not working, it's pretty much me time by default. So... I do like the sleep Netflix and YouTube thing. When it comes to YouTube, I'm more likely to press play on coaching and advice and wise teachers. So the YouTube stuff, I'd actually say, is more personal development focused and kind of self-study than it is watching carpool karaoke, which I do love as well. When it comes to how I handle it, I try to go with the flow and how I'm feeling. So I've become more and more aware lately of when I am feeling great and how to feel great if I'm not feeling great before taking more action in work or in personal life. So that's become very... Mind, I become very mindful of that lately. And sometimes it can take a while to get back in the flow of things. And other times stuff's just got to get done and it doesn't matter what my feeling or mood is. But I have found overall, if I can take the time to get back and centered into my intuition in a positive direction, the energy and effort that I take in life or in work is just so much more effective than when I'm just trying to push the rock up the hill and struggle with it. So that is something that I've been very mindful of and try to just take a break if things are feeling frustrating or there's a lot of friction. When it comes to getting stuff done, though, I do create lists for personal and professional. I prefer to write paper lists for my personal to-dos and my professional to-dos. I love using the T-E-U-X-D-E-U-X.com app designed by Tina Roth Eisenberg, who's been on the show. And I enjoy using the Productivity Planner by Alex Icon, who has also been on the show. So you've heard me talk to those two founders of those productivity apps and planner respectively. In addition, I also like Google Calendar so that VK, our chief of business mojo, can keep things on the schedule moving smoothly as well. 
Ash Mikael said, I would love to know what scents of candles you like to burn. This is really interesting. I don't have specific, like this flavor is the one I have to have, but I would say overall the scents I like are floral, the pine tree flavor at Christmas time. Can't get enough of that flavor or scent. And the herbal ones like lavender right now from the Detroit Rose Candle Company is awesome. I like rose pretty much anything. So rose that I would have to put in here and also all the Christmassy scents that come out at Christmas time. Now we have Hey K who said, thanks for always being open to questions. I'd love to hear an update on your upcoming trip. Last time you mentioned it, you said you hadn't planned any specifics, just some countries you want to see. How's the planning coming along now? Or will you just go over and see where the wind takes you? I don't have any specifics nailed down. I do know the first four to five days I'll be spending with my friend Diana in London. She's pretty much planning all of that out and I'm just gonna be along for the ride. And then I'm going to, I think, spend another week in London, have the meetup, which is not yet planned, but there will happen for the Lively Show, try to see some guests that I've met through the Lively Show in real life, and then move on to, I think, Ireland. Seems like a good location to go next. Again, they'll still be speaking English, which is nice. And and I'll be able to explore my own heritage in Ireland. I'm not sure where my family is from in Ireland specifically, but it'll just be fun to see the countryside and enjoy all of the pretty sights there for maybe about a week, then maybe around a week or so in France. Definitely want to hit up Paris and maybe some other parts of the south of France that sound intriguing. And then Portugal, I have a mastermind member of Life with Intention Online who's invited me to stay with her in Portugal. So I'm excited to take her up on that offer. So maybe, I don't know, several days, if not a week in Portugal. And then I'm going to Spain with my friend Nate, who's gonna be meeting me out there for a week. So that'll be really fun to travel around with him. So I've got like a few weeks where it's just me. And then there are a few parts of it, like with Diana, my mentee in Portugal, and then my time with Nate in Spain that will be with people. So it's kind of a nice way to break up this two months roughly of when I'll be out there, I think. And then around two weeks in Italy after that. So that's pretty much what I'm thinking. But all of that is very up in the air. No formal plans have been set besides the trip to Spain with Nate because he's going to have to like actually buy his tickets and that kind of thing. I am just so excited to vlog that journey and take you guys with me. I'm so excited because of the vlog that this is something that only do I get to experience, but you guys get to come with me and join me as well. Now we have Trees Can Fly 193 who said, what are you most afraid of? Love your podcast. I think if you're asking what my biggest fear is, have you ever dived into the water like really deep and go to the bottom of the pool or a lake and then you're swimming up to the surface and you see the surface of the water as you're swimming? For me, my biggest fear is not getting to the surface of the water in time. So the idea of being in a submarine is not appealing to me or anything that goes very deep in the water where if I ever had to swim up to the surface and I could possibly not make it up to the surface of the water in time, for some reason, that is very not my jam. Next up, we have My Sunshine Life, who asks sunsets or sunrise? Totally sunrise. I love the sunrise so much. A Balanced Life Cooks asks Jess, how do you say no to work opportunities that don't feel right in your gut, but pay well? There are so many times I want to say no, but it's hard to turn down the money, even if we'd be okay without that bit of income. I just can't seem to say no, even though the work may make me miserable. I'd love to hear how you do it. Very recently, I had an opportunity to do a few different projects that would have been income revenue generating, but 
were not aligned with my core impact and legacy and the focus of what I have going this year. So I said no. And at first, my ego wanted to rationalize why it was a good opportunity and how I could fit it in. But I've honestly had so many times in my life where I've taken on more than I can handle and the ensuing stress was just not worth it. So even though I initially kind of pursued them, some of them I went a little further than others with. I ultimately did not press go on either one. And I try to pay attention to my intuition over the ego as much as humanly possible. For yourself, if you're finding it's hard to do right now, I would say the fact that you have awareness about this is huge. So start there. Observe your behaviors, your thoughts, and your actions. Have empathy when you take it on anyways, and then watch what happens. See what the result is. Was it worth it? Was it not? Because the more you're able to reserve that the results are not what you expected or hoped they would be, the more you can start to take new actions in the future and choose again in a new way. Emmeline J said, I'm trying to balance the stress of looking for a job post-grad with trying to stay calm about how long it's taking and how many of my friends are already employed. Any tips on how to stay focused and moving forward with getting my career started while also keeping my ego in check and staying calm? I think what you're going through here is very normal in that I think it's very typical for many people to feel this way, especially when your ego thinks that this is what's quote unquote next for you. And if it doesn't seem to be going in the timeline of other people around you, it can feel very easy to feel like you're doing something wrong. But I'm sure your intuition has a wiser, calmer perspective on the situation. So my suggestion would be to write to your intuition. And I know that sounds trite, and I'm just saying write to your intuition. But honestly, that is the thing that will give you the calm, peaceful perspective that you're seeking. Me telling you something is not going to give you the peaceful place within you that you actually need to hear from. So there's nothing I personally can say that your intuition cannot tell you 10 times better and be 10 times more authentic to exactly what you need to hear. So really, really, really go right to your intuition. Don't let your ego make resistant attempts and try to push that aside because truly that is where your peace resides. Now we have Clara Ogren who said, mine is totally a loaded question. Ha ha ha. What are some of the qualities you're looking for in the next mister? And would you take his name in your personal life and or in your professional life? Funny question, Clara. Thank you for asking. When it comes to qualities I'm looking for, personal growth is huge. Being able to share this path that I'm on personally and professionally with my partner is something I'm really looking forward to sharing. If they're a business owner or have the ability to travel and have that flexibility like I have as well, I think that would be really special. And potentially even to be able to share the stage, if you will, with a partner would just be amazing. I don't know if that will happen, but that is something that is definitely a quality I would love to share with my partner. In addition, integrity and the ability to inspire me is also high up there on the list. When it comes to taking his name, I have no plan to change the name Lively as my public last name, but privately I could see taking on someone's last name. Now we have A.V. Amatic who said, you've mentioned running before. What is your routine? Are there other fitness activities you do on a regular basis? Have you or do you work out with a trainer? I have never worked out with a trainer in any professional or consistent capacity. Now my values-based intention is to move at the pleasure of my soul. So that's literally what I do. Depending on the day, whatever the pleasure of my soul is, it could look like running on a trail with Ellie. It could look like lifting at home. It could be erging at the gym, which is a rowing machine, and then running a little bit. Or it could be yoga at my friend's studio or long walks 
around town or walking downtown. Pretty much I walk everywhere. I drive about once to twice a week. I live like almost a mile from downtown. So I do walk downtown once or twice a day. And that kind of gives me some walking in. So basically, I just live those values. And the result is really peaceful and pleasurable. And I really enjoy it. So no specific, I have to work out X amount of time this week or anything like that. I just move on a regular basis and do what feels pleasurable given that day. Now we have K.L. Brocker who asked, Hi Jess, love your podcast. My question is, how do you stay so positive? And on the days when you're feeling less than great, what do you do to turn things around? This is awesome. And like I said, and I've been waiting for this question to go more into this, in the last week and a half, I have not been feeling awesome. So I can say that I really recently have gone through something that wasn't just like a little blip on the radar. It was a little more intense. And literally nothing happened. If you're wondering what happened to trigger this, nothing other than my own fear of my own life got in the way. My own thoughts and my own ego created a sense of fear and worry because my life is so amazing. And for the last five to six months, I've literally been floating on a cloud, if you will, of this euphoria of feeling exactly where I should be, doing things that are unfolding pretty effortlessly, or at least feeling a lot of flow with things. And then my ego just got in the way and just wanted to insert doubt and question it and be worried about what was going to happen in the future, worry about people and what they were going to think about the fact that I'm going on the Europe trip or other things that are happening later in this year. And I just got in my own way. And it really snowballed from a few thoughts to more than a few thoughts to a habit of having those thoughts for the last week and a half. It was hard. I tried to listen to positive teachers on podcasts and YouTube because usually that is really helpful for me to connect with someone who has a different mind space and energy, helps lift my own energy and mind space to their level when I'm in a kind of lower place. I also read books, so I've been reading The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which was helping me because I really do feel like the upper limit problem he speaks about in The Big Leap is something that I was really struggling with. I wasn't comfortable feeling as good as I was feeling, so I created basically thoughts and worries to keep me down into a level I was more used to in the past. So basically, I found a way to self-sabotage the awesome feelings to feel comfortable because I wasn't used to feeling that good. So I was reading that, but it still wasn't helping. The other thing that I like to do is getting out into nature and move my body and check in with my intuition, all of those things I did as well. And usually those do get me out. So I would try all of these things I've just shared. And talking with friends and sharing vulnerably about how I'm feeling can also be super helpful. But in the end, the thing that helped me was yesterday answering emails from Lively Show listeners, Life with Intention online members, and Work and Worth members. I was finally going into my inbox. I had not had a lot of time to answer the non-essential emails that come in day to day for several weeks as I focus fully on Work and Worth. And so I had a big backlog of emails to go through. And the light reflected The love and light reflected from the people writing me those emails and the impact that whatever episode, show, or concept, or something that benefited them that they decided to share with me, their light and appreciation was just almost palpable. It brought me to tears at times. It was really an intense moment of this light and love being reflected at me. And in the past, my ego could have tried to equate that to inflating my own sense of self-worth and to think like, oh, I did something that created this. I should feel good about myself because whatever I might have 
put out in some small way into the world has created this reflection back and helped them. And so then I should feel good. In the past, I might have gone to that direction. But what actually happened yesterday was just the fact that these people have the choice every day and we have the choice every single day to reflect our light or our darkness at other people. We have the choice to criticize other people and to tear them down and reflect our own darkness at them, or we have the choice to share our own light and love with them and reflect that at them. It's not about the other person. It's about us and what light or darkness we're choosing to reflect at other people. And these people were choosing to be so loving and light-filled to me, just one after the other, responding to these people. I couldn't not have my light shine back to them because all I wanted to do was reflect back to them the light they were sharing, kind of like a mirror or the sparkle water. If you've seen the Austin vlog, I talk about sparkle water there and what that means to me. That was the experience that I had. I just had so much love and light shared at me that it helped tap into my own light and love within me and helped me to get out of the negative shadows that my ego had been casting in my life. That was like a really weird thing that I'm not sure is super applicable to other people's situations necessarily, but that was what most recently did help me. But like I said, all the other things typically are the places that I go. Now we have Emmy Zuzu who said, hi Jess, thank you for all you do to put your message out into the world. My question is, have you ever suffered from self-help exhaustion? As a longtime student of self-development, sometimes I find it tiresome when I use the information I've learned to overanalyze things in my life. How do you overcome this to get out of your head and back into your heart? The way you phrased it's very interesting because when you said, get out of your head and back into your heart, there was a time when I was in Chicago where I had a like heart block. Like I was feeling very disconnected from a lot of people and friends in my life and just had this, if you're familiar with the chakra system, I had a heart chakra block. Now for anyone that's not familiar with the chakra system, that might sound crazy. That disconnection I was feeling was really just this block in my heart. And I didn't even know that existed, but one of my coaches had brought it to my attention and she was trying to explain that that was why I was feeling this disconnection. And we were working on it for a few weeks to maybe like a month or two. And I wasn't getting anywhere. I was very frustrated. I'd never really heard about chakras at that point. I read a book on heart chakra, but that still didn't help me remove the the block. So eventually I was getting frustrated. And she suggested to take a time out from the coaching to just go live my life for a while. So that's what I did. And she just realized that I was overanalyzing things and just needed to just kind of relax and not try to fix it and just go live my life. And over time, ever so slowly, by not focusing on it, it kind of released the overanalyzing grip that I had on it. Then I was able to return back to working with her from a better place, but it just kind of needed some time to dissolve instead of build up. So it wasn't like I was avoiding it and just in denial, but I think by overanalyzing it and over struggling with it, I wasn't helping it. So by leaving it alone and coming back to it, when my intuition gently nudged me back was the way to go in that case. So maybe that's where you're feeling. And I think if that is, take a time out, go live your life for a little while. And then when your intuition gently nudges you back to something that seems curious or helpful or useful, then walk ever so slowly and gently back into a path that feels right for you. Last but not least, we have Kiki Verde who said, I'm trying to be super intentional about the quality and amount of things in our home and balancing that with well-intentioned but not enjoyed gifts received from people we truly love. 
any tips, especially when the gift givers are frequent guests that begin to notice that these things aren't around. I'm always left feeling like a bit of an ungrateful jerk. Oh, that is a tricky question. And I would say first and foremost, let's try to be as proactive as possible about the future. So try to share with them ahead of time before Christmas or your birthday or whenever they might give you a gift and let them know what you're looking to do. Maybe you're making a shift in your values and you're going towards things that may contribute to a donation or a cause that you're really passionate about. Maybe it's about your value shifting towards travel and experiences and less stuff. So you want to focus on minimizing your amount of possessions. Whatever it is, try to share what your values are and how they may support you through gift giving in that scenario since they're planning on getting you something that can support your values. See if that helps because if they know that ahead of time, then they know if they're choosing to get you something, it may be in contrast to your values and that at least they're aware of it because if they're not even aware, then they're just doing this because their values are to give gifts and they enjoy it and they show their appreciation through this way. And even if they do give you the gift, at least receive the gift with the gratitude and in the intention and the values that they're giving it in. So that can be really helpful. Even if you don't keep it, at least make sure you keep the gratitude for the gesture because I think it'll feel even worse if you're only resenting it altogether. And last but not least, my suggestion would be to go check out Courtney Carver's episode of The Lively Show. In that episode, as a minimalist, she talks about how she deals with the holidays and deals with gifts like that and gets around the people that like to give stuff. So that would be another suggestion. You can listen to that at JessLively.com slash Courtney Carver. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are looking to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Candle Lively. And for show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash April questions. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Alana Griffo of SugarAndType.com about today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Alana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jess. It's awesome to be introducing you formally to the Lively Show audience because they know of you without realizing it as you are our resident graphic designer. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a graphic designer and hand letterer, and I have a little paper goods shop called The Sugar and Type, and I'm based in upstate New York. Your work is beautiful and your hand lettering is incredible. So for anyone that's seen the hand lettering, especially on Instagram of the quotes for The Lively Show or just generally any hand lettering you see on JessLively.com or The Lively Show, that is all Alana's work and more. Thank you. It's so sweet, Jess. You were the captain of our workandworth.com Squarespace design and you made sure that everything fell into place. Can you share what it was like to work with Squarespace as a team? Absolutely. Um, we had some a lot of moving parts with the Squarespace Work and Worth website. So it was really cool. You know, we're all spread out across the country and it was really nice. I could work on what I needed to do, getting the design up and ready, getting the content going while everyone else was working on their parts. So while Jess was working on the copy, I might be working on the header images or some of the lettering or some of the graphics. And it worked really seamlessly working across country. And obviously it's really user-friendly. So it was easy for all of us to communicate about what changes we wanted to make or just to go in there and have someone update something really fast. And there was really no learning curve. We all just were able to seamlessly work on it as a team. And there's no waiting for a server to update or anything like that. So it was just 
honestly really seamless. It was really easy for us to all get started. Yeah. So you were in charge of the design and making sure everything was really working. We had VK going in there to make sure that things on the customer experience side worked out. And we had Tony, our COO, making sure the payment systems were all up and working properly. So it really was a fun team effort. What did you find most helpful when it came to dealing with so many people in the same place? We use Slack a lot and it was so nice. We could just, while we were working on the site, you know, one of us was in the site, we'd talk via Slack and we'd say like, oh, I just updated this. Someone else would just go right in since it's live. You know, you don't have to wait for the server to update. We would just take a look and and give our feedback right away. So it's just immediately updates. um, And we all got to bring what we're good at to the table. So it was really nice, really cohesive. And that communication between us was so important. Yeah. So what would you tell people who are thinking about building a new blog or website, especially if they have a team? Play up your strengths. So if there's someone who's really good at copywriting, let them just dive in and write right there and check it and have someone else look over it Um, and just really play up your strengths. Everyone can do their own part. Someone can be on the design team. Someone can do the photos for it. You don't have to do it all by yourself. It's really amazing when you can work with such a talented group of people. And for those who are solo, what would your recommendations be? Um, I think if you can delegate, we've found that working with people who are good at the things that you're not is such a rewarding experience. But Squarespace is a great tool that really empowers people to be able to take that first step. And there's so many tutorials online. The um, help, if you um, like tweet at them or if you email them, Squarespace is really amazing at getting back to you, but there's so much information online also. So you can definitely do it solo if you don't have a big enough team, or maybe you just don't have the budget right now. For anyone that wants to give Squarespace a try, you can get a free 14-day trial by going over to squarespace.com backslash lively. And if you want to pay for the service and go forward with it, use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. Alana, where can people find you online? They can find me at sugar and type. That's T-Y-P-E on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Awesome. Alana, thank you so much for coming on the show and doing such a wonderful job with Work and Worth. Thanks for having me, Jess. It's a pleasure to work with you. And now for a sneak peek. This Thursday on the show, Dana Schultz of minimalistbaker.com is back. Dana came on in season one and she talked about minimalism and how she got her cooking blog that is super popular started. Now she's coming on to talk about something she has not yet shared publicly and even her extended circle of friends do not even know that she's been going through this. It's a really important episode for anyone that may be going through a health issue or going through something in their own lives that they've wanted to hide from other people or they're struggling with dealing with an identity shift. Maybe they've gone through a weight gain or loss or their aging process hasn't gone as they expected to. And they're finding themselves more concerned about their physical appearance than they ever imagined that they would. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today. 